Thank you for joining us here on the Bowling Green Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God, encourage our community, serve those in need, and share the good news of Jesus. You can find out more about how we do this on our website at BowlingGreenChristian.org. It is our prayer that the following message encourages you as you take your next step in faith. Up, in, and out. Nobody's perfect. Everyone's welcome. And anything is possible. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. So that's what I want to talk with you a little bit about today. Uh, When Weston emailed me back several weeks ago, he said that you're currently in a series examining some of the minor prophets. Uh, I believe I was assigned Zephaniah. He said you're scheduled to be speaking on act with sincerity, which is the big idea behind sincerity attracts in a world of surface. Your text is to be Zephaniah, but feel free to choose your own selection, which I have done. (laughs) I hope this fits well with the series, but I want to take a a broader perspective. I want us to look at things um, at, at a deeper level, and so this message I've entitled is all about relationships. And I think the video that we just saw together really demonstrates the power and the importance of relationships. Recently, I met two uh, individuals, two men, who on the surface appeared to be very similar. They were about the same age. Both of them were very married. Both of them had good jobs and owned their own house. Both were in relatively good health, and both of them attended church. So they're much like the majority of us here today. But after some conversation, I discovered that these two men who appeared to be similar were, in fact, worlds apart. One has every reason to be sad and hopeless as his young wife is institutionalized and under hospice care, yet he possesses a deep peace and a contentment that is admirable. The other individual appears to have achieved the American dream with a healthy family, lots of possessions, and yet he was anxious and distraught about about many things. And as I dug a little deeper, I've discovered that the difference was in the quality of their relationships. That's really what made the difference. You see, our relationships determine the quality of our life and the credibility of our testimony, and that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. Now, think with me, just to bring you on board with this. Maybe it happened today, I don't know. I wasn't in your car, but have you ever had words with your parents or your spouse or your children on the way to church or Sunday school? Anybody want to volunteer? a few brave souls. Well, how does that affect your worship? So you're arguing and fighting in the car, you put on your happy face, you come into church, and you sit there, but inside you're fuming, rehearsing the conversation, oh, I should have said, or why don't they listen to me? Or how about this? Have you ever been part of a church where there was open conflict and constant turmoil? 
Nobody seemed to really know what was going on and were moving in multiple directions and this group didn't get along with that group and there was just chaos. How does that affect your fellowship? How does that affect our outreach? You see, it's all about relationships because the quality of our relationships determine the significance of our lives. And unfortunately, those experiences we have are not uncommon. They happen all too frequently. Yet Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, before he went to the cross, said to his followers, a new commandment I give to you. Now this was not new in origin, like they'd never heard it. It was new in scope. It was new in depth. The Old Testament said we're to love God and love our neighbors. But Jesus says, no, no, I'm, I'm going to go deeper than that. This is, a, this is a new commandment. And I want you to love one another as I have loved you. See, that's the newness. There's a depth there. A self-sacrificing, self-giving kind of love. Not loving those who reciprocate. Not just loving those who agree with us. But loving people like Jesus loved people. He went on and said, By this will all men know that you are my disciples when you love like this. And later that same night, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, we We were on his mind. Jesus said, I am praying not only for these disciples who are with me now, but for all of those who will believe on me through their message. And my prayer for them is that they will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they would be one in us so that the world might know. Friends, I'm telling you, a divided church can never reach a broken world. We must be united because relationships are what affect the credibility of our testimony. Now, Jesus is clearly teaching that to have an impact on our world, we must love one another to the same depth, to the same degree that He loved us. Our world is not changed by military force or political legislation not by technology or techniques, which we're always trying to find and discover and improve. Our world will be changed by love. It really is that simple. So if we want to have more influence, then it's imperative that we begin to develop better relationships. You see, this is the essence of the life and ministry of Jesus himself. He left the splendor of heaven and emptied himself to become like us. He associated with all kinds of people and was often accused of being friends with sinners. Can you imagine that? The Son of God befriending sinners. And in Luke 19, we read the account of Zacchaeus where it says in verse 7, the people were displeased with Jesus because he had gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner. And they grumbled. Now this was not just a sinner. This was a notorious sinner. You see the difference? And Jesus went to his house to eat and to build a relationship with him. It was the very essence 
of his life and ministry. He came to seek those who were lost. It's also the essence and, I think, the mystery of the missionary endeavor. The Apostle Paul exemplified this throughout his travels in the Asian world. His teaching in 1 Corinthians 9, he tells us that he became different things to reach different people and concluded that with these words, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. And still today, missionaries leave their homeland, their mother language, their families to learn new languages, to adopt new cultures in order to share the good news of Jesus with a lost and dying world. It is the essence and mystery of the missionary endeavor. It is challenging and it is time consuming. I grant you that. We must be willing to invest in people who are different than we are, who are at a different place than we are, or at a different stage of life than we are. And it will not always be easy, it will not always be comfortable, and it will not always be successful. It can be difficult and messy, and people may misunderstand and maybe even take advantage of you. Yes, it is challenging and time-consuming, but it is essential in every part of our lives. Our spouse, our children, our friends, our neighbors, our classmates, our teammates, our employers, our customers, our co-workers, with fellow believers and with not yet believers, the quality of our relationships determine the level of our influence, you see. And if we want to have more influence with people, then we need to develop better relationships with them. Now, this is huge. This is, this is fundamental. And it's earth-shaking. The implications and consequences are significant and far-reaching. It's a radical way to view life. It's a radical way to do church. Participating in community and school activities. That means we may have to cut down on some of the things we do here because we want to build relationships with them out there. Do you see? means participating in community activities, hosting outside groups and community events to come here and use our facilities at no cost because we want to build relationships with those people. It means getting involved in civic clubs and sports leagues and nonprofit organizations so we can build influence with people. As I said, I've been in ministry for 42 years, so I've been in this Christian bubble, and I've discovered over the last year that I was really, I was a paid Christian. And since August of last year, I've been working in the public sector, and my eyes have been open, and my heart has been broken, as I've learned so many things about myself, and about how difficult it is to do these things. I used to stand on a stage and tell people this all the time, now I'm actually out in the front lines doing it. And it's hard, and it's messy, and it's frustrating. But, but we have to do it. People, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that takes time and effort and vulnerability. 
I understand, I understand, please, and this is no indictment, it's just true. Every church has a strategy and a structure that is perfectly designed to get the results they are presently giving, getting. Every church does that. So the question is, are you satisfied with what you're getting? Are you satisfied with the influence you're having in your community? Are you satisfied with the influence you're having with your friends and neighbors and colleagues and co-workers that you interact, classmates that you interact with every day? If you want a different result, you're going to have to change your strategy. You're going to have to change your structure. Allowing for differences and reaching beyond the common barriers like age or economics or background or lifestyle. Recognizing that we are all created in the image of God. And therefore, we have intrinsic value and worth. Our strategy should be based upon the words of Jesus who said to his disciples in Matthew 22, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is similar to it. The second is dependent upon it. And that is you should love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Just out of curiosity, does anybody here know how many commandments the Jewish people had in the Old Testament time? Orthodox Jews still today. How many laws, how many commandments do they have? Anybody? 613. That's a lot of commandments. So obviously, 613, I mean, that boggles my mind. So the obvious question is, well, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to boil it down to two. Two. Well, number one, love God. Number two, love people. You do those two things, everything else will fall into place. Everything else will be... What do we do about love? You want, but what do we do about love? That's all it is, folks. It, it couldn't be simpler. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments that, Jesus, that God gave the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, how many are there? Yeah, okay, we know that one. There's ten. And if you look at them closely, you'll see that the first four have to do with what? Our relationship with God. No other gods before me, no graven images, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. You do those four things, you're expressing your love to God. The last six, what do they have to do with? People. Honor your father and mother. Do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not lie, do not covet. Those are the relationships. See, in the, in the Old Testament, that's what God was getting across. Your relationship to me is primary, fundamental. And based upon that relationship, you are free then to love other people. If you love God, you will love people. Why? Because God loves people. Absolutely. So God's people should what? Love people. So let me just give you this simple formula this morning. You can write it down. There's a place in your bulletin to take notes. First is what I call, what Jeff Walling actually calls L1. L1 is simply relational intimacy with God. Relational intimacy with God. That's level one. That's fundamental. That's the foundation. Intimacy with God. 
So the question then becomes, well, what does that look like? What does relational intimacy look like? Looks like obedience. That's how love for God is expressed. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But, but far too many of us say we love God, but we're not living a godly life. We have faults and flaws that we excuse or rationalize or, you know, oh, hey, nobody's perfect. I get it. I'm not perfect, but I am striving for perfection. I'm not what I want to be, but praise God, I'm not what I was. I'm moving. I'm growing. So obedience is the expression of this intimacy. Well, well then the question is, how, how, how can I develop this intimacy with God? And I think that's a great question. I think that's an important question. And my answer would simply be through the spiritual disciplines. You cannot have intimacy with God if you individually are not involved in the spiritual disciplines. You may ask, well, what is that? Well, it's simple. It is personal Bible study. Not just coming to church to be fed by somebody who studied for you, but you personally, every day, getting into God's Word. It's not a mystery. There's no secret code you have to know to decipher what the Word says. Just read the Word every day. Prayer, fasting, solitude, service, generosity. The Bible speaks of all kinds of spiritual disciplines that are given to us to help us develop our intimacy with God. Now, friends, listen to me. If we don't do those things, our intimacy with God is going to be very shallow, very superficial, probably dependent upon Sunday morning and Wednesday nights. If you want intimacy with God, it's expressed in obedience, and it's developed through the practice of spiritual disciplines. So that leads to L2. Level two is relational influence with people. See the difference? Intimacy with God develops influence with people. Loving God allows us, enables us to love people. Well, what does that look like? I would suggest it looks like fellowship. I mean, biblical, real fellowship, where we share life together. We're not just casual Christians who pat each other. Hey, how you doing? Good. Good to see you. Hey, good week. Good week. Hey, how about the Titans? I'm from Tennessee, so that's, that's our team. But it goes deeper. It's sharing life. It's getting to know each other inside and out. It's being invested in one another. Living life together with integrity and with authenticity. No more masks. No more pretense. Hey, I'm really struggling. Oh yeah? What, what, what's going on? Well, it's my job. It's my wife. It's my kids. I'm just, I'm just struggling. Oh man, is there anything I can do? How can I pray for you? Well, how is that cultivated? If intimacy with God is cultivated through spiritual disciplines, how is influence with other people cultivated? I would suggest through the one another passages throughout the New Testament. It's exemplified by Jesus. Just be like Jesus, what he did. And this term, one another, is used 58 times in the New Testament alone. We're to love one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to forgive one another, accept one another, honor one another, not to judge one another to uplift one another, all those one another passages, as we begin to practice those things, our influence with people grows exponentially. 
both in the church, here as we gather, intentionally building healthy relationships with people from every age and every life stage. That's why it's so important for a church to be a multi-generational church where we have mentors to learn from and to appreciate and to respect, where we can have peers to uh, empathize with and to encourage and to walk alongside with, and where we can have mentees, where we can invest and share and pour into their lives. And I would point out here, because this is something I don't think we always understand, uh, mentoring is a reciprocal venture. It's always reciprocal mentoring. It's not the old people telling the young people what they ought to know or do. It's a mutual thing. Young people have a lot to teach. I'm 65 years old. Uh, my kids are in their late 30s. My grandkids are, you know, just ready to turn teenagers. I have so much to learn from them. They really are mentoring me. Hopefully, I'm mentoring them. But it's reciprocal. That's, that's what families do, you see. Reciprocal mentoring makes a huge difference in the church. That's why you need to be involved in whatever you call them here, Sunday school classes, adult Bible fellowships, life groups, go groups, mission teams. You need to be involved in those things so you can go deeper than just a superficial, hey, how you doing? Good to see you this week. But also in the community, as we do these things well, as we live in intimacy with God and influence with other people, intentionally building healthy relationships with people from other backgrounds and other lifestyles, Finding ways to be involved and included without compromise, without condemnation, to be involved in sports leagues or coaching, community events, volunteering for service clubs. This has been a challenge for me. I, I work with a number of people that are not Christians, so it's really outside of my experience and bubble. And I work with uh, several people who are proud of their alternative lifestyle. And uh, it's, it's been interesting. Um, I would consider them friends. I really do like them. And they like me and we work well together. But we are poles apart on so many issues. And it is my daily prayer and my sincere desire to allow the intimacy that I have with God to be extended to influence with those I'm interacting with. And the greatest compliment I've heard in the last six months is, and I'm not doing this to pat myself on the back, please understand, but the greatest compliment I've received is, I've never met a Christian like you. Cool. And I've certainly never met a preacher like you. As you unpack that, you understand what they're saying. No, not judgmental, not critical, not ultimatums, and in you went just just loving people. That's that's what it takes. Again, people listen, listen. People do not care how much we know, even if we know the truth, until and unless they know how much we care. Love really is that simple. Imagine what an impact we'd have if we began to live out these principles. And became known for these qualities. Intimacy with God. And influence with people. Well, by now you're probably asking, well, what would this look like? That's a good question. 
I mean, what would it look like? Well, I direct your attention again to the New Testament. I think we see a clear portrait of this. At the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, these are the words we read. After Peter preached his first gospel message, the good proclamation of the good news, 3,000 people were saved, baptized that very day, and then we read, all of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So they were devoted to God. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracle signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, sharing everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. That's fellowship. They were one in Christ. They worshiped together in the temple each day and met in their homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. So outsiders paid attention. It caught their attention. And as a result, the Lord was adding daily to their fellowship those who were being saved. The New Testament church is an example of that very quality, loving God, loving people. I think uh, I imposed upon Sinclair, and he's got a diagram up here I want you to look at. Hey, it's there. It's called, I call it the triangle relationship. I put myself and my wife, Kathy, who's not here because she had some appointments today, on this triangle. God is at the top. And you can put your name here. You could put your spouse. You could put your children. You could put your colleagues, your coworkers, your classmates. Anybody that you have a relationship with fits on this diagram. So you can put yourself there. Draw it on your bulletin if you'd like. But what you see here is that as each of us grow in our relationship with God, what happens to the distance between us? Obviously, it becomes less and less. We're drawn closer and closer together. That's the beauty of the Christian faith. As we grow in our intimacy with God, our influence and involvement with one another becomes greater and greater. Now, the reverse is also true. If neither Kathy or I had a relationship with God, the distance between us would continue to grow. Or if Kathy had a relationship with God and she was growing within him, and I didn't, I was growing away from him, the distance between us would become greater and greater. Those tracks would never intersect. They would never run parallel. They would never become closer than they are because we're moving in two separate directions. You see, God is the focal point. He's the one that draws us together. You cannot have influence or even relationships with other people until you have a right relationship with God. And here's the fallacy that many people, they say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty comfortable right here. I mean, I'm not perfect. Nobody is, but I'm comfortable here. I'm kind of close to God and kind of close to my spouse. Or I'll just stay right here. There's no plateau, folks. Do you understand? Life is fluid. It's always moving. We are either intentionally moving forward in our relationship to God or we are subtly drifting away from Him. But we cannot just find a place of comfort and stay there. That's Satan's lie. Just stay here. It's fine, you know. And we drift. And then a crisis comes up or a problem comes up and we cry out, Oh God, where are you? And he says... Hey, I'm right here where I've always been. I didn't move. You did. Welcome back. And he'll always, it doesn't matter how far you've drifted or how long you have been gone. He wants you back. He longs for you to come back. But folks, I'm telling you, if you want to enhance your relationships with people, 
develop your relationship with God. Amen? That's basically what I'm saying. So I'm ready to wind down. I hope I haven't been too long. Our noble attempts to evangelize and disciple people are directly linked to the relational influence that we have established, which involved proximity, how close we get. This is the incarnation principle. God didn't, Jesus didn't stay in heaven and just send us a letter or writes in the sky. He came and lived among us, took on flesh and blood, suffered the same pains and the same temptations and the same sorrows and the same losses that we experience. And if we want to have influence with people, we've got to get close to them. Not build these holy huddles that we come to and say, come join us, but moving out into the community. Jesus didn't say build and invite. He said, go and disciple. The second thing it requires is authenticity. This is the integrity principle. Being honest, being truthful, being sincere. People can tell a phony, a fake. I had this experience just this week as I was sitting with my colleagues Okay, I work for a f large funeral home in Nashville. And so I work with the directors, and we sit in what we call the music room while um, people are out. And so we have all kinds of services. We really do. Um, not all of them are religious, but some of them are. And uh, this, this past week, we had a religious, a very religious service, which I'm not opposed to. But um, as I looked at the audience, it was all gray hair and blue hair. Okay, so it was an older audience. And, and, and it meant a lot. But I'm sitting with my colleagues, most of whom are not Christians, and much younger than I am, a lot younger than I am. And you know what they were doing? They were laughing. Because it was so foreign and so outside of their world. And there was just this great disparity that was so clear to me. It's that, that the church... The church, that's what they were doing. And they, they were loving it. And it was good. I'm not saying it was bad, but I'm just saying they have no influence whatsoever on the very people that they say they're trying to reach. It, it was phenomenal. So the integrity principle and the proximity principle are so very important. Now, hear the words of the Apostle John who writes in 1 John chapter 4 these words. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he can see cannot possibly love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother. You say, well, I don't have any problem loving my brother, but it's the other people I can't love. Jesus made this clear in Matthew 25, right? And with the uh, parable of the uh, Good Samaritan. My brother is anybody in need. Am I my brother's keeper? Absolutely. So we have this responsibility to love all people in spite of their background or their present circumstances. So I believe that phrases like relational intimacy with God and relational influence with people can serve as a guiding principle in your future plans and ministries, both individually but also corporately. 
because God has blessed the Bowling Green Christian Church with some amazing facilities and some incredibly talented people, for sure. So my challenge and my prayer is that you will continue to use them in creative and effective ways to demonstrate this great love and build relational influence in your communities and neighborhoods. So as we move into the song of reflection and worship, I want to invite you to respond. As you know, there is a prayer team member here on both sides who have been trained and are eager to assist you, to listen to you, to talk with you, to pray with you. If you'd like prayer, if you have a question, or if you're thinking about making a decision, please come to the front. And on the outside sections, there are seats for you, and there will be people there to share with you in confidential prayer, and they'd be happy to greet and minister to you. But folks, my challenge is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength enables us to love people like Jesus did. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, these, I, I just, I, you know, words are easy to say. They're not always fun to hear. But the, the, the important thing is what do we do with it? How do we... How do we put these things into practice? I don't know everybody's situation here, Father, but I do know your grace and your power and your spirit that enables and empowers us to live life on a whole different plane. And I just pray that we would, uh, that we would get serious and that we would allow you to do your work in us. And so as we come to this moment of reflection and decision and worship. Father, I pray that we would be alert and responsive to the promptings of your spirit. And we give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. When you're ready to take the next step on your faith journey, visit our website at bowlinggreenchristian.org and find more information about service times and other programming for both adults and children. Thank you again, and have a blessed day.